So tonight, grab your outline, and I will just apologize in advance, but we are really going to be going fast, <laughs> okay? Um, really fast, because there are 21 principles that we need to go over tonight. And when I say go over, I mean like like going over moguls, if anybody's ever seen what a moguls are, <laughs> because uh, you, we can't cover all 21 of them tonight. Some of you um, may have been in, in uh, Wednesday nights this last summer when we went over uh, all of them over uh, several months, and uh, I believe those are still online if, if you want to go look at those, or even better, uh, once you're done with discipleship, um, you're finished with that, or if you've never been through B2, Discipleship 2, sign up for uh, the class that will be uh, starting up here soon. Uh, the one that's going on right now is, is coming to a close, but you will get to dive in and really grab some, some good meat, okay, some good, good meat. And uh, Jason, when, when does that finish up? Okay, okay. September, September. So you got a few months, you know, and get your Wednesday nights all set up so you can come and do it. And let me tell you something, that... Folks, I, you're here, so you love the Word of God, you love love the, the Lord of the Bible, and, and or you wouldn't be here, but if you really want to get more of a handle on what we're going to talk about tonight and, and literally run over, um, sign up and get into that class, uh, because you get, it, it, is anybody here done like steak? Okay, good, because that's what you get, all right, and uh, it's, it's good stuff, so um, I will tell you... Uh, that what we're going over is literally just what each one is and a little bit about it, okay? I'm going to give you what it is and then the main principle, uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but we just don't have enough time in one night. But uh, as Pastor uh, Brian says, we want to go over this at least once a year uh, in a night so that you are either reminded or maybe you hadn't heard, you're, maybe you're new here, or, or just getting really plugged in, and so you're like, hey, I, I've heard about these things, what are they? Okay, the principles of Bible study, and, and just real fast here, are the things that give you the handles on the Word of God, okay? I mean, when you get in a car, and you turn the key on, um, and you push the pedal and everything, do you just do that? I mean, no offense, Ron, but do you do it like, like Ron could if he wanted to and just jump in and just boom, and away, and, and you're all over the place? No, you had it. Now, I've actually seen Ron drive. Yeah, twice, actually. He drives better than a lot of folks I know. That, that's scary, okay? But the truth of the matter is when you get in that vehicle, okay, there are some rules, and they're designed to allow you to use that vehicle to, to really make life more enjoyable, uh, accomplish the things that you need to, uh, the things that you want to, uh, go to the places that, that you feel like God is taking you, so to speak, like church on a Wednesday night, uh, without killing yourself or somebody else, right? I mean, they have all kinds of parts to them, right? From fenders and bumpers and, and side panels and chassis and radios and Lord knows what else, okay? Steering wheel, all this stuff, you know, skinny pedal on the right, you know, all those kind of things. You need those, but if you don't know how to use them, you're going to be in the ditch 
or worse, right? Okay, so that's, that's what these are. They take you and put you in this vehicle, this great thing that the Lord left us, okay? His word, his mind, the truth, himself, and this is what allows you to get a handle on these things, to get in it and go where it is. Your GPS in this particular uh, stance means God-provided situation, okay? That's what, that's what Christian GPS is. So grab your, grab your, uh, your outline, and, and let's run over these things. And, and let me just say this real fast, too. I have, and I've done this in each of my Bibles, in the front back, I, I've got these written r- right in here, okay? I, I've got a card that years ago we made up, you know, when, when there weren't 21, <laughs> so to speak. And by the way, these aren't the only ones, okay? They're just, some of these are major, I mean, they're all important, uh, but they... It's a good, if whatever you need to do, don't just, don't just take them and, and again, toss this on the table or in a drawer and, and you never see it again. Write them down so that you can actually start applying them. When you read, like we talked about last week, talking about your personal devotion. And by the way, I apologize for the folks who didn't realize that uh, I think they put up that it was going to be how to do a personal devotion. And what we really were talking about was personal devotion as far as your personal time of devotion with the Lord, which has to come before you can do a personal devotion somewhere else, which we talked a little bit about. But this, this whatever it takes, at, at one point, this is what, what we use. In fact, on the back, it's got the, the books of the Bible, you know, in order. I mean, wh- whatever you need to do we, that helps, okay, do it, do it, spend the time to do it. So the very first one, this is one of 21, okay? And we'll spend a little extra time on, on the front end and go, we're going to kick it into high gear once we get about halfway through this. Number one principle of Bible study uh, that you've got to understand is understanding context. Fill in your blank, context. And the principle, and underneath each one of these, I put the principle, the, the, the main principle here. And that is before you ask what a verse or passage means, determine the context, Okay. Determine the context. Has anyone here ever been taken out of context with something that, that you said? Okay. Is there anybody here that likes it when that happens? Okay. Well, how do you think a perfect God feels when we do that thing? Okay. And there's a lot of things that, that go with that. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, which we've got noted there for you, says an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Now remember, you got three enemies, right? World, flesh, the devil. You think, you think any one of them wants you to get a hold of this thing and live it? No, so you know what happens? Just what that verse talks about. they rest them and twist them, okay, and take them and try to make you believe it's something other than that. In fact, that's the MO of Satan, the devil, Lucifer, that serpent, okay? Uh, The first time you see him in the Word of God in Genesis chapter 3, the first thing he does 
because he makes a statement questioning God. Yea, hath God said. And if you notice there, punctuation is important. It's a question mark. He's questioning that. He's deriding that. And that's what they do. They wrest the scripture uh, away from the weak. Okay? So that you don't get what God has for you. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17 says, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we Christ. There are many attempts to corrupt the word of God uh, in your life. And not only by the multitude of versions that are out there now that say all kinds of crazy things. Okay? Uh, but also, um, there's some folks that as soon as somebody gets saved, um, First thing that happens is they knock on the door because Satan's intelligence system is really good. He says, all right, send them over there right away quick. And he sends somebody, hey, we're with, I won't say name for name call here, but they come in, hey, heard you guys say that's great. Have you heard about, you know, the, the gift of the Holy Ghost? Have you, you know, done this? Have you, you know, had your family baptized? All kinds of stuff to immediately wrest you away and start weaning you on corruption, corruption, which is why Paul talks to a troubled church like the Corinthian church about the corruption of the word of God. Now, corrupt context results in corruption of God's truth, and we've done this several times, but the Bible defines truth as itself. Uh, Sanctify them by the truth, thy word is truth, Jesus said in John 17, 17. So, if you study this, if you get into D2, uh, if you uh, go and take this and really dive into it, you can look at what's the, the definition of the word context, context or context. Um, it's basically the general series or composition of a discourse, more particularly the parts of a discourse which precede or follow the sentence quoted. The passage of scripture which are near the text, either before it or after it, the sense of a passage of scripture is often illustrated by the context. What we simply mean is, what's actually going on here? The context. And if you don't understand a verse, if you see something and you're like, boy, what's that? Look at the verse preceding it, the one after it. If that doesn't make it clear, then expand that. Go back to the beginning of the, the paragraph or the chapter or the book and get some context. Now, we're going to go over another principle that's going to help you with that, several principles that will help you in keeping the context and getting the context right, okay? The, uh, the things that, that you want to always do is ask yourself when you're studying the Word of God, uh, where does this book fit in relation to the rest of the Bible? Uh, where does the chapter, the verse, or the word fit into the context of said verse, chapter, book, and so on. There's a reason why, for instance, your Bibles, the books of the Bibles, are not in chronological order. The Holy Spirit of God did that for a purpose, to make it clear for us. Now, with context, the thing I want you to remember, too, is there are a lot of things that are kind of simple, and the next one kind of helps us with this. And, and like I said, we're going to go fast, so there's a lot more to be said about this. I, I'll be honest, I'm struggling tonight because I want to say 
a lot. But this is, like for instance, understanding context. We could spend all night tonight and another night to really do this justice. Okay? But this is just to give you the big picture of, con- uh, of principles of Bible study. And it, and it really begins and ends with context. Okay? So, number two. Principle number two of 21 that we've given you anyway. Understanding biblical people groups. People groups. Okay? God, uh, I'm sorry, the the, the principle here is the Bible is written to three groups of people, Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Every single person falls into one of those categories, okay? Everything you see in the Word of God falls into one of those categories, okay? Um, you say, well, well if, if I'm Jewish and don't, and, but I'm saved, don't I fall into the church? No. You fall into the, yes, you fall into the church, but you might say, well, I fall into both. No, because the Bible is clear in Christ in the body, there is no Jew or Gentile. Okay? You're a new creature. Something completely different happened with us. And and that's for another time, but here, here's the bottom line. First Corinthians 10, okay, verses 32 and 33. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved, okay? Remember, every single one of us, whether you've been saved a day, a decade, or some of us several decades, we all have one, one ministry in common. Anybody know what it is? Ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling a lost and dying world to the God that we met and saved us who also saved, who also died for them. And every single one of us has that ministry, okay, regardless of anything. So all scripture, and look at that there, I, I, I bolded a couple words for you. This is extremely important. All scripture is written for you, okay, but it is not all written to you specifically. What do we mean by that? Let, let me read you uh, another uh, passage. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Most of you have either been discipled or in discipleship. You should know this probably by now. I think you've all been through at least uh, uh, lesson 5 or 6. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteous, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, you know, from the inside out, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what this is all about. Taking the whole counsel of God and applying all four, which, by the way, it starts with doctrine, which then reproves you and then gives you the correction. And when you apply it, you get the instruction in righteousness. Okay? That's that's the way that works. Then, what happens? The man of God... Uh, is perfected, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, some key things here uh, that we could get into is something like the Ten Commandments, okay? Who are the Ten Commandments written to? The Jews, right? The nation of Israel out there, okay? Um, now, does that, it, that wasn't written to me and you, though. So do I just ignore it? No, man, there's, there's good stuff in that, right? In fact, your entire Old Testament 
is, is chock full of things that not only are good, but quite frankly, you're not going to get what you need in the New Testament if you don't understand some things in the Old Testament. You can get saved without knowing anything about the Bible, okay? But you can't grow without nourishment. You can drink milk until you're five years old, and you're not going to be very strong. Your body's not going to be very operational, okay? A lot of, lot of guys, children walking around like that, unfortunately. All scripture is written for us, but not all to us. Um, lots and lots of different examples of that throughout the Word of God, um, even in the New Testament, when you get into transitional books, which we won't get into right now. But understanding those, that principle, keeping that in mind, helps you to determine co context when you're reading. When you're reading back in Exodus about uh, the sacrifices and killing lambs and everything, doing all this stuff and turtle doves and everything, you know, I may, a person might think, okay, well, I, need, I guess I need to go, where can I buy turtle doves, you know? Except that's not written to me. It's written for me, but it's not written to me, okay? There's a little more that goes on, but that's the first thing that I don't have to know a whole lot. I can look at it and go, okay. That was a little confusing, but now I, I see that's not written to me. There's something else there for me, and we'll get into how you look at that here in a second. Number three, understanding biblical divisions. Your Bible has divisions, and God has placed natural divisions in his word, okay? Divisions keep you, like, um, for instance, we were talking about the cars earlier. If you don't have a dividing line on a road, we'd have a few more wrecks than we have, even with a dividing line, right? <laughs> okay? So you're like, oh, we don't want to be about division. Well, yeah, you better be. You better be. Like, well, God is love. He's not about hate. Really? Because Proverbs 6 tells me that there's six things he hates. Yea, seven are abomination unto him. So you can't love God and love like God if you don't hate the things he hates. I know that's not popular. But on the story of the word of God, I say that because it's truth. Understand biblical division. 2 Timothy 2, uh, 15. Again, you guys probably know this. I hope so. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there's got to be work involved here. And that work has to do with, look at the end of that again, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, what's the most obvious division in the Bible? Yeah, Old and New Testament, right? So, I mean, when people say, oh, there's no divisions, really? <laughs> I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm telling you, I can see old and new. Okay, that's pretty simple. There are things to watch out for that are called transitional books. Uh, but if I'm reading it and I see, hey, this is written to the Jews back there. Well, that, that, okay, that's written for me. It's not written to me. Okay, so there's something here for me. I don't know what it is yet, but I know that's not something I have to do, like go out and get turtle doves, so to speak. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17 says, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Wow. Okay. Um, what do I do with that? Ephesians 1.10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. These are not the only mentions of 
divisions for dispensation. Flip over to the next page, and I've given you here the seven natural divisions of Scripture through time. Um, divisions, dispensation, uh, has to do with stewardship. Uh, there is a ministry that has to do with people who are key people in certain dispensations and has to do with time. And so we've given you some here uh, just to have without having to go through each of them simply because of time tonight. But you can look at them. The very first one is, is the uh, dispensation of innocence, also called the Edemic, uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, back about 4004 B.C. And we're using Usher's chronology here for the, the timeline. The age, or I'm sorry, the dispensation of conscience, also known as the Adamic, uh, or Edemic, from uh, about 4023-44 B.C. The dispensation of human government, or Noahic, uh, dispensation, 2344 to 1918 B.C. Uh, the dispensation of promise, which was the Abrahamic, uh, Abraham's time. Uh, the dispensation of law, which was in Moses' time. The dispensa dispensation of grace, which we are in right now, the church, which goes from 33 A.D. And I put present because, man, I don't know when that trumpet's going to sound. I mean, I, I know the times and seasons, and, and I hope you do too, and, and it's coming. I hope, I hope that trumpet sounds before we get home tonight, because then we can really all go home, right? Lay these burdens down. This little thing called Judgment Seat of Christ, okay, but that's all right, because that's going to make me clean and white and ready for my Savior. And I'm all for that, no matter how much that might hurt, but we'll take it. And then uh, after this one, the dispensation of the kingdom which is the millennium, which is after the second coming, um, and in between that rapture and the second coming is a thing called the tribulation, where, where uh, Jesus deals with his uh, espoused wife, us, the church, uh, in heaven, the spiritual kingdom of God, and God deals with his estranged wife, the nation of Israel, uh, in the kingdom of heaven here on earth which is physical and uh, then there's that thousand years of him ruling and reigning and us ruling and reigning with him the kingdom dispensation a whole lot in there obviously okay could spend two months on that on those easily okay there's, there's just a ton in there which is why you need more than just Wednesday night for this number four okay number four Understanding application. How do I apply all that stuff? Okay, you're giving me three that are like, man, these, this is some big stuff. Well, all scripture has three applications. Just like there's three groups of people. All scripture has three applications, okay? And these are extremely important. These, I went ahead and we took the time here to, to go ahead and have you fill these in. I want you to write them because I hope you actually jump in to these and, and study these out. You can... You can do a lot of this on your own, okay? But it's very, very, very important uh, when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth to have this principle. And uh, the principle, uh, I'm sorry, the three applications here uh, are number one, doctrinal application. Doctrinal application. In other words, what the passage of the verse teaches in the context of, the, of Scripture that, that is found there. Uh, doctrinal application means what what it means, what it's actually saying, the truth of that. Um, 
the second one is the historical application. All right? What the passage of verse teaches us historically, when it actually happened, what was going on. I love charts. Uh, Lisa will tell you this. If you, if you want to, okay, we need to do something, but we need, we need Mark not to get lost. So what can we do, you know, for five hours? If you set me down with an atlas and come back five hours later, I will be sitting there because I will go over every inch. I'm just weird, okay? But it's the same thing when it comes to charts and all that. When you look at charts, has anybody ever seen the charts that have, like, the whole Bible laid out and then has, you know, the history of man's history laid out, you know, and you can see where they, what was going on up until. How many of you saw the movie 300 or know the story at least, right? Okay. And they're talking about King Artaxerxes, right? He's the guy up there and I don't have him really portrayed real well, but anyway, he's the guy up there. Um, he's mentioned in the Bible. That's one of the kings during Daniel's time. There's some really cool, man, when you see the big picture a little bit better, because a lot of times we read this and we know it's truth, we know it's doctrine, but our mind, we still have it right in here and not here. And, and here is where it all applies, okay, more than just the knowledge. The third one is inspirational or devotional. Um, sometimes people call it practical. You'll see that word attached to it but this is where like the bible is not all written directly to me but it's for me okay like the old testament there's nothing back there doctrinally specifically just to me although there's some doctrinal things that do apply that i fall under but it, i don't have to go kill sacrifice animals right because jesus is was the was is the lamb of god so i don't have to do that but there is inspirational or devotional application there for me to take and live and actually apply my life, take the word of God and apply it every day. I read Proverbs. I'm one of those guys. And there's a lot of people that do this. I didn't start this by any means. I, I read the proverb of the day every day. That's how I start my what I call morning muster. Uh, remember last week there at the end we talked about there in, in uh, Proverbs 6, verses 20 to 23. And now in verse 22, he gives you the three, the three times, that structure for when you need to be in the Word of God, when you need to think, when you're asleep, when you, when, you're, when you wake up, when he's talking to you, and then where, where, when you go as he leads. He's, he's, he's leading. The question is, am I following? He's speaking when I wake up, right? We saw that. But am I listening or am I ignoring and am I putting the word of God in as the last thing at night so that he can keep the things I'm not able to keep, like where my mind goes when I'm asleep, weird dreams, restful sleep. All he can keep that. And he says he'll do that. But if we're not putting the word of God in there last thing, we're putting whatever it is you watch, read, or do instead of the word of God, well, then that keep is not secure. At the time when you actually, the time when you're closest to death and your flesh is out of the way more than any other time when you're asleep, and he can minister to you. Well, that's what this is about, man. I can take that word. I can be reading through. I can maybe be studying. But a lot of times, man, I, like I go through Proverbs, which has daily instruction. 
If you get into Proverbs every day, you will get daily instruction for that day. I promise. Because I've seen it happen now for several decades. Every day. And the days I don't, and I go back, bam, there's something I could have used. There's something I missed out on because I wasn't at the morning muster and I missed the instruction. I messed up. You done messed up, A.A., Ron? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, a few people know what I'm talking about. Good. All right? Yeah. That's exactly it. When I, when I do that and I see it, that's the way it goes through my head. You done messed up, A.A. I'm like, oh, that's what you messed up. Isaiah chapter 28, verses, I'm looking to find it real quick. I apologize. Let me just a second. I have it written down here somewhere. Let's go there because this is, this is important. Isaiah 20, I'm sorry, 28. Isaiah 28. Like I said, we're going to take a little time on these front end ones and then we're going to fly. I'm holding up the chart. I apologize. Isaiah 28, and we'll look at verses, uh, verse 9. He says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. And uh, there's more there that, that you might want to read that's really good, by the way. But when, when you, you look at it, Man, who is going to teach? You, you have to go and look at it line by line. Here a little, there a little. You know, okay, here's this little word study at least. Break the sentence down, simple things, okay? Get those. And then those three applications keep you straight. Because now I'm reading a verse and I'm saying, okay, but which people group is, is this talking to? Um, what... You know, what, what's, what's the division going on here? Where, where does this fit contextually? What's going on? And now, wait a minute. This isn't speaking to me, so doctrinally, this probably isn't for me. But what is the doctrine being taught there? And, and when did this happen? How does it fit into the historical context of your work? And, okay, so what do I do with that? All right? How many of you read 100, Psalms 119? I know, I know a lot of you have, okay? Do you get some inspiration from that? If you don't, we got to talk. <laughs> okay, you need to get saved. <laughs> okay. Because Psalms 119, man, is the chapter on how to love the Word of God. So you go through there, those 22 stanzas, and man, it will, it will give you inspiration, even though none of that is doctrinally to me. It has some great doctrine in there. There's some amazing doctrine in there, but it's not for me. But the inspirational stuff is incredible. Like, I don't know how to explain this to you, but I, I like science things, even though they are like 20 miles over my head, okay? But what's amazing to me, and this started with one of our girls when Lisa was pregnant, and I'm sitting out there while she's getting the checkup and doing all that stuff, and I'm reading through Nova, which is a science magazine, and now it's online, and it's Lord knows what else. And they said, well, we can't understand this, and here's this and that, and I'm like, well, that's not that hard to understand if you just look in the Bible. I mean, I'm looking at it going, well, that's pretty simple, really. And, and all of a sudden I realized, man, you know, Psalms 119 tells me that he'll make thee wiser than the ancients, wiser than my teachers, wiser than the world, because 
the, the wisdom of God is greater than the wisdom of the world. And I, it's like, wow. Now, at least I'll tell you, because what are you watching? I'm watching a thing on all these pioneers who happen to be Christians. There's a, there's a great one uh, called uh, Is Genesis History? Some great stuff. Anybody heard of that? You, you know what I'm talking about? I love that thing. Okay, I don't always agree with them, but that's okay, doctrinally speaking. But man, these guys are all scientists, they're all Christians, and they just lay things out to you like, well, that's simple. It's easy. Because the world tells you, well, science, you know, and the Bible are always fighting. No, they're not. There's some people who are scientists who fight it. But the majority of scientists recognize, hey, <laughs> there's something else going on here. The greatest age of, of uh, understanding, the age of enlightenment, came when this Bible right here, King James 1611 Bible, got printed. And all of a sudden, people are reading the Word of God, and they're saying, hey, now if this applies here, and here. the guy that d discovered the whole circulatory system, he's a Christian. He re Anyway, we'll be here too long. I'm, I'm way behind. Okay, so that's how that works. Number five, understanding the importance of individual words. Individual words. The principle here is that God uses individual words as keys to unlocking the truth of his word. Okay, and uh, this, this is great. And, and this is another one of those things that not only helps you with context, but more importantly, helps pinpoint some things for you, like a trailhead marker. Okay, so... Uh, Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. That's verse 5. Anyway. Um, Psalms 12. And let's go over there real quick. Because this is important. And I want you to see this. And, and I hope that you go home and look this all up over the next week or so. Okay? Um, I put the verses on there for you, but maybe... Maybe I, I, you know, I'll be honest, I had this kind of all set up to go, and then I realized, man, there's no way I can cover all this material on each one. So I went back in last night and tried to compress it down, and I can see that I, I'm, I'm failing miserably uh, as we speak. So Proverbs uh, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. These are, th th he, how many of you already learned this, these verses in discipleship? Yeah, did I say something else? I'm sorry, Psalms 12, Psalms 12, my bad. Psalms 12, verses 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So, that's important, because the individual words. Do you realize that Jesus said to keep his words, to keep his words. He didn't say keep my principles. He didn't say keep my ideas. He said keep my words. Look, now look at your blanks. There's another place that I thought this was important enough. We won't go to Revelation 22, but it's the same thing about keeping his words. Uh, I'll let you do that. Every word in the Bible has a purpose. John, and I'll just go over there and read it for you real quick. John chapter 20. Every word. Uh, again, I think I mentioned this uh, maybe a few months ago, a few weeks ago. But God is not like, like us. God does not use filler when he's putting things down, okay? There's no doodah, uh, as my dad in the faith used to say. Um, no doodah. He, everything in there, every single word 
is chosen by the Holy Spirit of God and is there for a purpose and a reason. Whether I understand it or not, I'm a dummy. So me understanding it and, and me saying, well, I don't understand that, so I don't think God's, what? That's not the pot calling the kettle black. That's the ignoramus going to Einstein's. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And, but we take that attitude sometimes. Uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. There's a whole lot of other things that aren't recorded in the Word of God. These are the ones that the Holy Spirit of God wants us to have. Okay, so as we said here, every word in the Bible has a purpose put there by the Holy Spirit of God himself. And secondly, and has been divinely placed and preserved is your blank there. Preserved. Remember back there in, in uh, Proverbs 12? Uh, I've got my Proverbs and Psalms all messed up tonight. Uh, back in Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7 there at the end of the sentence says, Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. He's going to preserve them forever. The question is, where are they? And that's not something for tonight, although I think that's what Randy's teaching about a little bit tonight. But in uh, John, again, uh, chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, okay, which say this, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. So every word has a purpose, and every word is divinely preserved for you, for me, for us. Let's don't waste that. I mean, you guys understand, we're joint heirs. Isn't that what the Bible says? Joint heirs with Christ, right? You realize you have an inheritance? The question isn't whether or not you have one. You have one. The Bible says so. The question at the dinner seat of Christ is, hey, what would you do with that inheritance I gave you the other day? So look up the story about the unprofitable servant. Guys give him 10 pounds, 5 pounds, 1 pound. Take a look at those things, you know. Those are written to doctrinally after the nation of Israel in the Gospels. But boy, if that doesn't hit you right here, bless God. <laughs> because it's strong. It's real. And we have an obligation and a responsibility with the gifts that he has left us of his word, his mind, himself. Okay? All right, number six. Let me start flying here. Number six is understanding preservation. Preservation is your blank there. The principle is that God has perfectly preserved his word in the English language so we might have certain understanding of his truth. Okay? John 21, we just read verses 24 and 25. They apply here as well. He preserved these. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. He said he would preserve them um, forever. So take these things to heart. He gave these things to us so that, so that um, not only that they're preserved in his word. Well, let me start over here. Look right there. God has perfectly preserved his word in the English language so we might have certain understanding of his 
true. And by certain, that doesn't mean like, uh, I'm not certain if it's this or that. Certainty. Okay? Certainty. So that we might have certain, certainty, understanding of his truth. That's why every word has a purpose. Everyone has been divinely preserved. Each one has three applications. You've got to pay attention. All these things we've been talking about, that's what, how this is coming together. I hope you're seeing that. Number seven, very important to understand the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible. A lot of people get this wrong and, and sometimes misapply uh, a truth, if you will. Yeah, sometimes people say, well, the whole thing of the Bible is love, how God loves us. Well, okay, that, that, there's some truth to that, but that is not the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is the kingdom, and all Scripture must be seen in the light of God's plan for his kingdom. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's what this is about. Understand this. This kingdom that is the theme of the Bible belongs to one person, and there's someone else that wants it. And has already rebelled once trying to get it. Satan. He's got this part of it, doesn't he? For, for a time. A very short time. You know, we, 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 we see things relatively like our lifespan. So, like, I'm, we're in our 60s. At least I am. I don't want to speak for you. But, you know. I'm in my 60s. Okay, so I see six decades. All right? <laughs> okay? So... Somebody who's, you know, like a lot of you, I'm like, well, these young people, you know. And then we look at 6,000 years of history that we've been through so far. I'm like, whoa, that's a long time. Is it? It is to me. But this isn't about me. This is about a king and his kingdom. And he is going to get it. But God is a just God. You realize the two things most important to God? Justice and judgment. Check it out. Study your Bible. Justice and judgment. Why does God let all this happen? Because he's perfect. And he gives everyone a chance. I mean, think about this. How many of your sins had you committed when God, when Jesus died for you on the cross for those sins? How many? Anybody? Oh, zero. I had, well, yeah, all of them. Sharon, you're right. He died for all of them. But I had committed none of them yet. I wasn't alive yet. But for God, who is eternal, and remember, eternity has no beginning and end. He made history. He made this little box, okay, called time with the heavens and everything you see there in Genesis to deal with the sin issue perfectly. So to us, this is a long time. And to him, it's like, we've got to get things done here. we only got a week. Because there's more important things. Great things that we don't even 
even if he even if he showed them to us, it'd blow our minds. My mind gets blown on the little things, man. Okay, theme of the Bible, the kingdom. Number eight, understanding first mention. We're going to start flying here, guys. Okay, understanding first mention. The principle is that God has established his biblical patterns through the law of first mention throughout the entire Bible. Genesis 1.1, great example. Uh, what to say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So what's the obvious big thing right there, right away, the first thing that's mentioned? In the beginning, who? God. So what do I know about God before I go forwards? <laughs> yeah, that in the beginning, God was already there, okay? And then, and then what happened? Well, God creates things. In the beginning, God created. All right? What he created? The heaven, singular. Well, that's another lesson. The heaven and the earth, singular. Wow. That's a big deal. All right? This is a big world. This is a big universe. Why? First mention. Whenever you find it, understand it's important. As I go through my Bible, I always mark. Now, Lisa's color-coded, and she's, I don't want to say she's smarter than me, but she does things smarter than I do. She, she's organized. Like, I, I don't know, I, but I have a little system, and when I have that, I, I, mine, mine, mine's a tough system. I just write out to the side. First mention of, <laughs> okay, because I'm real simple. And I mark it every time because it's important. When you see that first mention, it is, it is giving you the MO. It's giving you, you know, modus operandi. It's giving you how this is going to be most of the time when you find it. You can go back here, okay? Uh, along with that, uh, number nine is understanding last mention. Last mention. God uses last mention. The principle here is that God uses last mention to show us fulfilled truth. Fulfilled truth. And, and I'm going to go to a couple of these real quick just because I think it's important for you to see. Uh, Revelation 22, last chapter in your Bible, verse 13. He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Now, it's a simple one. But this is Jesus speaking, Okay. He's the beginning and the end. So, so who was present back there in the beginning? Who? Yeah, Jesus. God, but Jesus, okay? In fact, Proverbs 8, longest proverb in, in, in the book of Proverbs, it really talks about that, okay? When you see the last mention, you want to go and find the first one. And when you see the first one, you want to go find the last one because it will show you fulfilled truth. It will show you what God did in between. All. You realize that in, in Genesis, the first 10, 11, 12 chapters, and then in Revelation, there's a whole lot of things that were started there, and then you see the exact same thing in Revelation. Only now it's completed like a tree that's special. A people that are special. God having a special, uh, an even more unique relationship uh, with his people. Okay, number 10. Am I right? I apologize, folks. I told you I'm a little discombobulated because 
it just doesn't seem right to <laughs> go through it this fast. But it is good for you to get these and to have these. Um, put them in your Bible. You know, you've got all those pages back there in the front and back you know, that are for notes. Put them in there. Leave a little space to study them out and get, because there's tons of verses for these, okay? But, uh, or do the study and then put them in there. Okay, number 10, understanding biblical patterns. Patterns. This is, this is a great one. The principle here is that once God has established a pattern in his, in his word, it remains consistent throughout his word, okay? Why? Hosea 12.10, I have also spoken by the prophets, and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. God is always doing things that, that we don't understand, okay, uh, because he's God. <laughs> that's, that's the main thing. And, and what's great is he uses some things um, such as uh, the words like and as. A lot of times you'll get, you know, some corrupt doctrine because somebody took something and said, well, look, here it says this, and, and here it says that we're this. I mean, if you go back and look, it says, as this is, so is this. It doesn't say it is that. It says, as it is, or, or this is like that. And there's a, there's a ton of examples in the word of God. Um, 2 Samuel 22, 34. Uh, he maketh my feet like hind's feet, right? And setteth me upon high places. Does that mean he has hind's feet? No. There's no ketchup there, right? There's no hind's feet. He is, I know it's a bad joke, dad joke. But he's just got regular feet. But he's talking about what God does for him, okay? He says they're like hind's feet. Um, there's, there's pictures in it like Enoch, okay, for instance. He's raptured out, taken out. Uh, there's a lot of great pictures. There's a lot of great things that you are shown by using using, paying attention to those words, like and as, okay? Um, number 11, which you can probably see right there. What, what's the blank? Understanding what? Numbers. Numbers. We're not talking about the book of Numbers, although there's a lot of treasure in there if you go look for it. Uh, but here's the principle. Numbers are important keys to understanding the preciseness of God. God is a God of math. His creation can be broken down many times into mathematical formulas because of this and reveals how God works. And as you start paying attention to these things, things will start jumping out at you, not just in the Word of God, but in everyday life. All of these things, quite frankly. But numbers are one of the biggies. Okay? So here they are real quick. Number one, unity of God. Two, division or separation. Three, God's power, nature, and image. God always does things in threes. Four, manifestation of God's order and creation. Um, specifically, usually the earth, but not always. Five is the number of death and of grace. Okay? Where death did abound, what did much more abound? Grace. Number six is the number of man. Number seven is perfection, completion, or creation. Uh, number eight is the number of new beginning or resurrection. Nine, the number of fruit bearing. Ten, the number of the Gentiles. Twelve, number of Hebrews uh, or the nation of Israel. Number 13, the number of rebellion. And number 40 is the number of trial and testing. And uh, again, just as you read through your Bible, pay attention to those numbers 
and they'll start jumping out at you. How many years were the uh, children of Israel wandering in the wilderness? Forty. Yeah. There's a whole lot of forties in the Bible. Uh, the number 13, the first time, that law first mentioned, first time it shows up, number 13 is involved uh, in rebellion. Um, by the way, when the United States rebelled against England, how, how many colonies were there? Oh, hey, isn't that strange? Now, you might say that's a coincidence. Okay. I don't believe in coincidences, really. Um, and I've told you before, when you come to the Bible, you have to be like a forensic scientist. You have to be a detective and search these things out, okay? Um, God expects us to dig into them and, and to search them out. And when you do that, I, I don't know. I know a lot of detectives, actually. I don't know a one that believes in quinkadinks, <laughs> coincidences. The things start adding up, and you're like, Really? Could that have been that? Sometimes. Sometimes. But not in the Word of God. Because those words, what do we say, are each one has a purpose, and each one is divinely placed there for you. Okay, number 12. I'm running out of time. So I apologize, and we got 10 more. Understanding the supernatural, your first blank, the supernatural in the natural. Okay? Understanding the supernatural in the natural. The Bible clearly states that God manifests himself, the truth, through his creation. Okay? So, Romans 1.20, and this is one you want to go look up and mark because it's not just that, that the whole in context thing here. There's a whole lot here in Romans chapter 1. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. They're not murky. They're not misty. They're not hard to see. Okay? They are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You can't plead ignorance, okay? That is no excuse. Even world's law understands that, right? Ignorance is no uh, exception to the law. We have no excuse. We have a completed Bible, okay? you know, right? Something a lot of folks have not had. Okay, so moving on. Number 13, understanding interpretation. Uh, this is a really important one, guys. Uh, again, you need to really study this out because uh, everybody has their own, well, that's your interpretation. Oh, that's your interpretation. Oh, Mark, that's your interpretation. Hmm. Well, here's what the Bible says. Second uh, Peter 1.20, okay? Second Peter 1.20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is, uh, is of any private interpretation. Doesn't matter what I think about it. Doesn't matter what you think about it. Because the Bible is not privately interpreted. Who wrote the Bible? Okay, who, who specifically in the Godhead? Huh? Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, let me ask, if, if you wrote a book and people had questions about it, would you want them to, you know, ask these guys or come and ask you? Right? Or, or you, you know, if you wrote it, you want to go to the author. If you know the author, why would you go somewhere else? It, unless you have some ulterior motives. Right? Now, if, if the Holy Spirit of God wrote this, and he did, and he lives inside you and me, Sealed until the day of redemption. 
through the operation of God than a Philippians 2, uh, then who should we go to? Right here. And these principles that we're talking about allow you to see how God has put that thing together, how he works, how he thinks. Have you, I've used this illustration before, maybe you've heard it, but um, I do not know how to play the guitar, okay? I don't really know how to play any instrument, although I've been able to play around a little bit, but I don't know how. But I can tell you this, I can tell when it's out of tune, can't you? Right? First Corinthians 3, man, that, that's, that sound ain't right. Something about that's not right. That, that happens to me when I listen to Christian radio a lot. It does not sound right. Okay? Something's off there. So you do. You go back to the Word of God and say, oh, okay, here it is. I'm not to privately interpret it. You're not to privately interpret it. Well, then how am I supposed to know? Well, we've already read several verses uh, about this. But the Bible will always be its own dictionary. Now, there's nothing wrong with using the Strong's. I use the Strong's. I, I like to use all these things. But I want to look at the etymology of the word, not just say, oh, well, that's what it means. Well, that's what it means in that language, but God may have used it a little bit different here. I need that one. So now we're back to 2 Timothy 2.15. So they show thyself a workman. We're going to have to work at this. That needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, but there's 376 references in the Bible to that. Well, then get busy. If somebody told you, hey, it's going to take you 376 days to get through this mound here, but at the bottom of it, there's 50 pounds of gold. How many of you would be sitting here right now? That's the answer that way. He raised his hand because this is more precious than gold, yea, fine gold. But if we knew for sure it was there, we'd be out digging. Right? Just really, it just, what do you, do you recognize truth or the lie? Because this is all a lie out here in the world, guys. It's a lie. See, yeah, but I saw it, I felt it, I touched it. And you think that makes it true? Okay. Huh. Well, this, this thing's true, this one, you know this one. Yeah, come back in 50 years, I bet the sucker's decayed a little bit. Like my body. And yours, my mind. Not this. Not one bit. Okay. Understanding interpretation, 13. Okay, number 14. Okay. Understanding biblical authority. Authority. This is big. I know people, none of us like authority. I grew up in the 60s. I, I've been anti authority my whole life, and it really had nothing to do with the 60s. It's just, unfortunately, what's in here. But man, Biblical authority is important. Here's the principle. Never make the Bible align itself with our thinking. Don't make it say what you want it to say. Be honest. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> but I have done this where I've got this great thing and I want to teach this great thing. So I go to Strong's and I start looking at them. Here's all these references. There's like 89 references. Man, that's not what I was talking about. Man, that's, that's not either. I keep going here. Oh, here's one. Okay, this one, I can use this one. 
because it, it helps me to prove my point. What's wrong with that statement? My point. You, you and I have got to be willing to change anything we believe, have been taught, maybe even taught, to come in line with the Word of God when the Word of God shows us the correction, the corruption of where we were. Okay? And sometimes it's happened to me, and I'm going through, and I'm thinking, it's this, so I want to let, and I go through all these verses, and I realize, man, I didn't know what I thought I knew. Big surprise. <laughs> so I got to change it. Or I have to tell a lie. There's a lot of lies and lying that goes on behind pulpits. I'm glad it's not this church. Okay, uh, number 15. We're going to have to fly because we're down to five minutes, and I apologize, guys, but look these up. Number 15, understanding biblical truth. Always give the Bible the benefit of the doubt. Just because you and I don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong. It means I don't understand it. It's still right. John 17, 17, right? We've talked about it over and over and over. Why? Because it's so definitive. Sanctify them by, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. See, there's no interpreting there. <laughs> Boom, there it is. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's no interpreting there. It's, oh, Boom. I don't have to interpret anything. I can twist it. I can lie about it. I can choose not to believe it, but it's very clear, right? Understanding biblical truth. Don't make the Bible say what you want it to say, okay? Submit to it. That's where it goes back to the previous principle of authority. Put yourself under the authority. Why? Why should you put yourself under the authority and, and submit to that truth? Right? Because it's mine to it. Because it is the truth, and he is the authority, whether I acknowledge it or not. Right? So it's like folks say, well, I don't recognize the Constitution of the United States and the IRS and all that. Good for you. It doesn't change the fact that that's the law, okay? You, you want to identify like that? You want to, that's fine. It doesn't mean it's true. Only one truth. I know that's not popular today. But there is absolute truth. The reason people don't want absolute truth is because then they will have to be subject to it. And if there's not absolute truth, well, then it can be whatever I want it to be. Right? We lived in Santa Fe for three plus years. I was always told, oh, this is a place where truth seekers go. You know what I found out? It's not a place where truth seekers go. It's where, where people who like excuses go. You can go on the square where the Santa Fe Trail, which starts not too far from here and ends there. And if you just start making something up and shouting it from the rooftop, or from the square, literally, and we've heard it, you will find somebody to agree with you. It's a unique experience. Number 16, understanding how to define symbols. Okay? Very, understand this, guys. Very few things in the Bible are symbolic. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, most of the Bible is symbolic. There are religions out there that teach that. Okay? Well, it's, it's just flat. Again, you can believe that if you want, but that's not the truth. The thing that's cool about the Bible is when it's symbolic, it will tell you. When it's an allegory, it will tell you. 
Most of it is not. Most of it is not. Number 17, understanding clarity. There's two, two blanks here. Understanding clarity over obscurity. Clarity over obscurity. The principle here is that when this principle is violated, doctrinal error will typically be the result. Okay? It, it, it just will. People want to take obscure verses and then make everything, you know, they rest it. Remember in Peter? They rest it around and say, well, but see here, this, this really defines it. No, it doesn't. It's an obscure verse. And within the context, you'll find out it's something totally different. It doesn't have anything to do with that. We've given you some verses to take a look at there uh, to go over. Number 18, never base doctrine on questions or a question. Again, God, God gives solutions. He gives answers. Law first mentioned again, first time devil shows up, what does he do? Questions. Questions. If you base a doctrine on a question, you're going to run into trouble. Because that is the theology. Here's the principle. Satan builds his theology on questions, not answers. He loves to question and question. Gets you doubting, questioning. Thinking, well, you know... That does kind of make sense, and I really didn't understand. Hey, if you don't understand it, you know it's okay not to understand something? Okay? I know it's a shock. But it, it's okay. It's what you do then after you realize, I don't understand that. You ignore it, or you go search it out. Search it out, man. Seek, and you shall find. Number 19. Never base doctrine on a single verse or passage. Kind of goes along with, with number 18 there on questioning. Never base the doctrine on a single verse or passage. Because if it's an important doctrine, God's going to give you more than just one verse. Okay? The principle here is doctrine must be supported by the whole counsel of God's word. Not just this or that that you can just pull out of context or rest around as, as uh, Satan and and uh, those who corrupt the word of God like to do. Number 20, never dismiss Bible warnings. Don't, don't do it. Israel dismissed clear instruction from God and suffered the consequences, didn't they? He said, hey, I'm, I'm just warning you. I will do all this and do all this. I will be your God. You'll be my people. But if you don't, then you're going to suffer these things. And what did they do? <laughs> yeah, they, they ignored the warning. And, and I've told you before, when you look at Israel and we look at them and we see them, we're like, are you guys just stupid? What are you thinking? Well, just understand you're looking in a mirror. Because the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, not doctrinally, but that inspirational thing, that is a picture of us. We like to wander, <laughs> don't we? To be honest. We like to, I'm going to want, I want oh, that looks good. Oh, shiny thing, you know, uh, whatever it may be. You know, I might be all on fire, and all of a sudden a 68 Camaro, you know, or a 69 Yanko goes by, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, so bad. It's so beautiful, you know. What number is that? You know? Watch out for the one. Don't get distracted, man. Stay on point. Last one, understanding what to do. 
that's your blank, to do, two words there, when we don't understand the Bible. This is a big one. What do you do when you don't understand the Bible? Pray. Amen. And what do you do when you pray? Okay, listen to the Word of God. We talked about this. But specifically, James 1, 5, right? What's it say? Say it loud. Oh, okay. (laughs) Right. Ask. Okay. She said, ask. You have not because you ask not. But ask for wisdom. What does Solomon do? God, God said, hey, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. You know? He said, hey, wisdom to judge thy people. Well, wow. The people around him are like, well, he's not asking for riches. He's not asking for all this kind of stuff. And God says, no. Because you didn't ask for those things, I'm going to give you what you asked for, wisdom to do with my people. But since you didn't ask for all this other stuff, I'm going to give you that too. Why? We ask because we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust. Right, James? I catch myself doing this all the time. I hate to admit this, but sometimes I'm like, okay, Lord. Well, you know what I want to ask because you're God, but you know my heart and it's messed up. And, but it would be good, right? Because you said this, but... I know my motives aren't right. Um, can, you, can you help me with my motives? Because I, I'm a mess. I have very convoluted conversations with God. It's a good thing he's God or nothing would get done. But ask. Ask wisdom. Ask for help. The most important thing, their Bible study. Somebody tell me. What is it? What? Prayer. That's right. You come to the Word of God and you're not praying, Lord, help thou my unbelief. So, oh, I believe everything in there, really. Well, if we believe it, we would do it. Believing and knowing something is not the same. I know a whole lot of things, and I believe them to be true, but I don't always apply them. I don't always do them. Why? Because I believe I really want this right now instead of what I know is good for me, you know, like children do. Because we're children. So I don't care how old you are. There's a few of us here that are older than the rest of you. But we're still children. His children. And we're none of us as old as the eternal God who loved us, gave himself for us, and gave us a Bible, his mind. You understand that God gave you his mind? He does what no other God, little g, ever has done or will do. And that is, here's my mind. You can hold me accountable to it. What? God allows you to hold him accountable. Well, but God, you said. (laughs) I did. You said if I do this. That's right. Okay. That blows my mind. I I don't get that. That's that's a God unlike all the other gods. Okay. I'm five minutes over. I apologize. Um, And I'll go apologize to the uh, workers here. But let's, let's pray. Take these things. Study them out. Get into D2. Once you're done with discipleship, if you're not done with discipleship, or if you are already done, get in there. Um, study these things out. Write them down. Check them out. Check me out. Father, we praise and thank